Welcome to Bible Q&A, a monthly discussion with Luther Seminary faculty about everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Eric Barreto. And I'm Catherine Schifferdecker. Uh, today we're talking with Catherine about who wrote the Bible, and joining us in, in the podcast as well is Mark Thrunvite, Old Testament faculty here at Luther Seminary. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Thank you. So, Catherine, who wrote the Bible, and why is it important? <laughs> well, um, as I say in my essay, who wrote the Bible is such a huge question because, uh, uh, I mean, you could say simply God wrote the Bible uh, <laughs> through human beings. But when people ask that question, they're not asking so much about divine inspiration or revelation or those, those sorts of questions. What they really want to know is what human hands wrote the, the text that we have in front of us and put them together and when did they write and why were they writing and how in the world did these writings become what we uh, know as the Bible. And I say it's a huge question because real, the, the, the Bible contains uh, just a, a lot of uh, different writings. Uh, it contains narrative, it contains uh, history, it contains poetry, it contains law. Uh, and, it, uh, and these texts date back... Um, Many, many, many uh, centuries, millennia even, uh, and and they uh, cover a time span of uh, some one thousand years, and probably more than that if you count the fact that most of the stories in the Pentateuch, for instance, or many of them at least, uh, probably were passed down in oral form before they were actually written down. So we're talking about uh, hundreds and hundreds, uh, even over a thousand years. Uh, when these uh, texts uh, were were put together, when these texts were written and then eventually put together, uh, and so to ask who wrote the Bible uh, is is a huge question. I, I like the metaphor you use that in some ways the Bible is less a book and more of a library. That it's a collection of these different texts from different times and different people. It'd be like asking who wrote this library. Exactly, it's, it's a strange question. To yeah, ask, but. yeah, it is. It is a strange question. And the interesting one, interesting thing too, is that. Uh, the the authors who wrote uh, some of these books or, or parts of some of these books uh, knew some of the earlier books. So, for instance, in Job, uh, we we can discern um, references to Psalm eight uh, and to the Genesis uh, creation story. Uh, and obviously, in the New Testament, the New Testament writers know uh, the books that we know as the Old Testament. That's their scripture. And so, even while they're composing their works that eventually become scripture for the Christian church, uh, when they refer to uh, scripture, to, to the Bible, they're talking about what we know as the Old Testament. So, uh, so it's a complicated question, and, uh, and I tried to summarize it. I probably went on too long in the essay, but there's just uh, lots of details that we could talk about. I, I take as two examples uh, one major part of the Old Testament and one major part of the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, I talk about the Pentateuch, that is the, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, and in the New Testament, I talk, uh, I talk about the epistles of Paul. But there's many other examples we could use. So for instance, uh, we could talk about uh, the prophets in the Old Testament. So we have these uh, prophetic books, the three big ones, of course, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then uh, the twelve minor prophets, and uh, and they bear uh, the names of the prophets. So, uh, to ask who wrote Isaiah, for instance, uh, one answer might be, well, duh, Isaiah, Isaiah. right? Or <laughs> same for which one? Yeah, yeah, well, that's another question. Yeah, so for uh, Isaiah is a good example, actually. Uh, so we uh, we know that uh, um, uh, from the beginning of the book of Isaiah that Isaiah, son of Amos, in the eighth century, uh, sometimes referred to as. Isaiah of Jerusalem, 
uh, is the prophet whose whose uh, oracles or writings are collected in the first part of Isaiah. But then in chapters 40 through 55, suddenly we're not in the 8th century anymore. Uh, we're in the 6th century. Uh, we're, we're in he Babylonian. He lived a long life, didn't he? Did, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. He and was, how do we know that? How do we know that they were not back there in Jerusalem? Or? Well, because in, uh, in that section of Isaiah, in, in chapters 40 through 55, sometimes uh, uh, what is referred to as second Isaiah, and I've had students flipping through the table of contents in Looking their Bibles going, where's <laughs> second Isaiah? I see second Corinthians, Corinthians and right. second Kings. I don't say second Isaiah. What, what scholars mean by that when they say second Isaiah, they mean uh, uh, chapters 48 through 55 of the book of Isaiah. And in those chapters, we hear God speaking to the people in exile, and we hear references to historical people like Cyrus of Persia, who uh, is referred to as the Lord's anointed, and he's uh, uh, he's the, the, the king uh, of Persia who eventually defeats Babylon and frees the Jews, amongst other peoples, uh, to go back to their homeland and to rebuild their temple. So he's, he's uh, hugely important in Israelite history. So the uh, biblical text itself is making that claim. Exactly. Well, the biblical text itself is, is making references to those, mm-hmm. that time period, to that history. Why do you think it's important to know something about these human authors and you know, where they came from, what their culture was like, what their time was like. Um, so if I'm sitting down to read the Bible, why do I need to know this stuff? Well, um, I guess in some part it depends on why you're reading the Bible. I think for a devotional reading of the Bible, perhaps it's not um, always necessary to know the the time and the context and the history of whatever particular author wrote. But uh, even for that, and, and especially if you're uh, delving uh, into... Um, trying to understand details of the text, I think it's, it's very important to know, uh, or at least it's very helpful to know. I think you can read the Bible without knowing it, but it's helpful to know some of the history and some of the time periods that we're talking about. So to take the example that I used, just used, the Babylonian exile, uh, this is just a huge, huge event uh, in, in the history of Israel, really the history of Judah, the southern kingdom. Uh, in, in 587 or 586, ba- Babylon defeats Jerusalem, burns down the city, uh, tears down the temple, burns it, and takes all or, or most of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah into exile in Babylon. And this is, event, this is an event, an historical event that we have uh, evidence for even outside the Bible that uh, just plays in the memories and in the theology of Israel uh, th- really throughout uh, the Bible. And so to, to not know about the Babylonian exile, I think really diminishes our understanding of, um, of, of the radical claims made for God uh, in Isaiah, for instance, where God, uh, it's, it's said that God has raised up Cyrus and is going to uh, bring Israel back from exile like a second exodus. There's another point where uh, where a later scriptural passage knows about an earlier story like the Exodus. So there's going to be a second Exodus, uh, and the peop- God's going to bring the, the children of Israel out from Babylon just like God did uh, from Egypt. And so uh, you just have to know. You have to know uh, about the Babylonian exile to really understand the full import. And we can imagine that, right? Because we've experienced historical events in our own lives, whether it's you know events like Pearl Harbor or 9-11, that the world changes radically for us. And all of a sudden, the world looks really different. And if somebody's looking back, uh, reading an account of the time and doesn't know about these experiences, then they may not be able to understand what. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great example, Eric. 
Exodus is about the Exodus. What about some of these New Testament books that have names attached to them, like the Gospel according to Mark or the Gospel according to Luke? Well, uh, that's that's a good question too, Mark. So these Gospels uh, are written, uh, we, we did another podcast uh, uh, with a, an essay that Eric, uh, referring to an essay that Eric wrote about which Gospel is true. Uh, uh, and the question, the answer there, of course, is that all of them are true and they give mm-hmm. different perspectives on Jesus and on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Uh, but those gospel, that's, uh, I, I didn't talk about the gospels in my essay just because I ran out of room, but uh, each of those gospels are uh, written with a particular theological perspective uh, and a particular understanding of Jesus, um, and, and certainly they have things in common. Uh, but all of them are anonymous. None of them are... Uh, you know, the, the Gospel of Mark doesn't open by saying, you know, uh, Gospel, this, uh, this, this is, is Mark writing. Mark. <laughs> this is, this is those, Mark writing. Where did those names come from? Well, they were attached uh, to these various Gospels by uh, uh, the early Christians sometime uh, probably around the second century. Um, we would just say traditionally the Gospel of Mark is attributed to Mark. Traditionally the Gospel of John is attributed to John. That's a particularly interesting piece because within the gospel itself, uh, um, the author doesn't name himself, but he uh, calls himself the beloved disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, or at least that's uh, the person whose testimony is, uh, is, is written about in the gospel of John. Uh, but he doesn't ever call himself John, or uh, whoever is writing down his words doesn't, call, doesn't name him John. But uh, later readers and hearers of that gospel uh, um, decided or assumed or thought that, that the beloved disciple must be John, the son of Zebedee. So you, you talked quite a bit about the people who wrote these texts, but you also talk about God's role in, in the composition of these texts. Um, how does inspiration play into all this, and where, where is the Spirit moving? That's a great question, Eric. I, I, I said a little bit tongue-in-cheek, God is the author, but I, I do mean that in this sense, that uh, somehow in all this messy history of people, uh, uh, of the people who wrote and edited and compiled these texts that we now uh, have as scripture, somehow in that process, we people of faith, um, by calling this the word of God, we're saying that in some sense, God was at work in that writing and that compiling and that editing of these works, that God's spirit was at work uh, um, inspiring, uh, revealing, uh, speaking with the, the authors and editors of these works. And just as importantly, that uh, I think we have to say, uh, if we speak about the word, God's word, as a living word, uh, we also have to affirm that the Holy Spirit is at work even now, uh, amongst here at this table, at least I hope, and, and amongst uh, where, where uh, any uh, person or group of people, where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, that uh, that the Holy Spirit is at work uh, in that community of believers, uh, speaking to and uh, and interpreting and uh, speaking to new situations uh, and new people uh, with this living word uh, that has been given to us as a gift. In a sense, in essence, uh, the work of inspiration isn't quite done yet. It's yeah. still in process. You could say that. Yeah. Perfect. Um, thank you once again for joining us on Bible Q&A. You can find more at enterthebible.org. Join us again. <laughs>